This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. All right. Um, so good evening, everyone. Um, this is, uh, this is, it's Shavuot. Can you believe it's Shavuot already? I looked at the date today and I almost I passed out that it's almost, we're almost done with May. Um, it's quite astonishing. Um, by the way, does anyone know the origin of why we call it a Tikkun Lal Shavuot, aside from Rabbi Artsen here, who would like to, or Rabbi Silver? No rabbis answering this question, but, but we are here for what is known as a Tikkun Lal Shavuot. Does anyone know why we call it that? I, okay. So, so we are told by the rabbis in the Midrash um, that in the rabbinic commentary on our tradition, that the night before the revelation came, the Israelite people fell asleep. They fell asleep. And they slept in such a deep slumber that God had to wake them up and say, hey, it's a really big day today. You should probably go brush your teeth and get ready for the revelation and meet me at the base of the mountain. So as a tikkun for that terrible insult that our ancestors leveled against God by not being so excited that we were up all night preparing and thinking um, and anticipating what the revelation would look like. So now, traditionally, for the next 3,500 years, Jews have stayed up uh, late into the night, some people all night long, to make a tikkun, to make a kind of healing for that mistake of being asleep when we should have been awake. Any sense of why that might be a resonant message for us in our time? <laughs> We're trying to make a tikkun, a kind of apology and repair for being asleep when we should have been awake. So all night tonight, we are going to engage this community of beloved people, both those who are here in person and our friends who are with us from afar, and we welcome you. And we are collectively going to remind ourselves of what it means to be awake when the world demands that we should be awake, even when our bodies are tired and we want to go to sleep, or when the world, what's happening outside, is scary or seems dangerous or seems unmanageable. We don't know how to approach it. We want to close our eyes and just go to sleep, but we cannot. That is the entire embedded message. We are going to stay up tonight, some of us till 10, some of us till 1.30, some of us till 5 a.m., so that we can correct the mistake that was made long ago. And each time we do this, we're also reinforcing for ourselves that a tikkun is possible that repair is possible in this world. Because I think we often make mistakes and then we feel like we're done. We can't turn around. We can't go back. We can't try it again. And this tradition says, no, you can. You can make a tikkun for what was the mistake from long ago. So I'm thrilled that we get to do this together tonight. It is a great night. One of the teachings of our tradition says that the way that we engage Torah, though, has to be based on the desire, each of us, of our own hearts. 
And this is such a great teaching. There were there were there were six hundred thousand men at the base of uh, Sinai when the revelation came. This means there were about two million people that were standing at the base of Sinai. Our tradition says that each one of us heard it differently when the voice came down. And therefore, that each of our voices matter profoundly because as we try to put together the puzzle pieces of what God is asking of us in our time, in this world, we actually need to hear all the different interpretations that come from all the different kinds of people and different individuals that make up our collective whole. So that also means that not everybody learns Torah in the same way. Some people want to sit with the text and pour over every word and try to pull meaning from the text. Other people will find meaning in movement, others in song, others in art. And so tonight we're going to explore lots of different ways that we can find our connection to this experience of revelation. In this room, uh, we're using three locations tonight. In this room, uh, we're going to be live streaming. Um, so our folks who are from home are going to be able to join us in this room. The other two sessions are totally offline. Um, one of them is in the outdoor classroom, which I think when it gets a little bit colder, we're going to be moving into three, th room 309. Um, and then there's another room, which is um, across the green and just uh, to your left, uh, which will be our third space. Then we have tons of food and drink throughout the night. Um, we also have a table that some of you might have seen. We asked people to bring uh, some of your abundant produce um, on this Shavuot. And so thank you. I saw some beautiful colored greens and mint and other things that are there. And this is a new practice for us this year, but we thought it would be really sweet and special. Um, so we're going to do our best to take care of your bodies, your spirits, your minds and your souls tonight. Let us take care of one another as we get ready to engage in the process of making tikkun and preparing ourselves for the revelation. Um, I want to just say a couple of words of gratitude before I introduce our panel tonight. The first is to Rabbi Ronit Saduk and Rabbi Morris Panitz, um, who worked so thoughtfully to craft this experience for us tonight, um, who, along with uh, several of our staff members, who I'm so grateful for, Elise, um, who I don't see in the room right now, and Morgan, um, Jess, who's uh, adminning us on virtual, and thank you to Jess, um, Michael and Nick and Ben, um, and Vera, who's in person at ECAR for the first time, and Vera is responsible for so much of the goodness that um, that that Ben and his team and our community have been putting out into the world, um, but lives afar, and so we're so happy that you're here, Vera, and we're going to get to hear from her in a few moments as well. Um, we thank uh, you, our whole team, um, Rabbi Deborah Silver, um, we thank you, and of course, Melissa Balaban, uh, now and always. Um, thank you to Hillel, who's going to be throughout uh, the, the course of the next couple of sessions, um, leading us with a little bit of music. Um, we're very excited for what the evening will bring. So, um, so I would like to introduce uh, my, my dear friend, Lauren Buckman, um, to come forward. He is going to be leading our first session this evening. Um, Lauren Buckman uh, just completed his term as president of the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. He is an international leader in art and design education. He has many years of experience uh, as a theater director, as a dramatic literature professor. He has authored two books. We just did a book talk for one of them, which was extraordinary, and you can hear it online uh, if you didn't already. Um, he also has a podcast in which he conducts interviews with leading artists, designers, and cultural innovators. Um, he is absolutely brilliant. 
Um, he is, has a heart of gold, has dedicated himself um, morning, noon, and night to this community and to helping us grow into the community that we are becoming. Um, and I feel so proud to call um, this beautiful soul my friend. And so Lauren is going to be um, is going to be moderating our panel this evening for our very first conversation. So thank you, Lauren, for being here. Our first session is called Creative Revelation. And so uh, as the artist that he is and the, uh, the educator of artists, we thought there would be no one better than you to lead us uh, off tonight. Um, I'm going to introduce the other folks who are going to be seated on our panel. So um, so you can, we'll, we'll applaud everybody at the end. Um, I'm uh, very happy that we get to have with us tonight um, another very dear friend, Amy Bender. Um, Amy is the, uh, is the author of many books uh, of fiction, uh, short stories, and novels that it says here that try to address the world through a skewed, magical, fairy tale influenced surrealistic lens. And I love that you wrote in your bio that try to address the world that way, as if we're not sure if she's succeeded. But if you did the, um, the New York Times crossword uh, a couple Sundays ago, you'll see that she has in fact achieved um, this incredible goal. Um, Amy Bender was one of the, she was one of the um, clues for the New York Times crossword puzzle on Sunday, no less. So um, she's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I, I, I am so deeply grateful to Amy. And I just want to say um, about both Amy and Lauren, both of them so busy with their own creative endeavors over the course of the last year as I've been on my own writing project, I multiply, multiple times called both of them and asked for their help. And literally, um, I, like without a moment's notice, um, both of you responded with such grace and kindness. And I feel so very blessed um, by you both. I mentioned Vera before. So Vera, come on up. Vera is a writer and podcast producer uh, making work about food, feelings, and spirituality. Vera's podcast uh, work includes the Believer Magazine's flagship podcast, Black Mountain Radio, season two of the anti-trans hate machine and the Spotify original Your Magic. Um, she is proudly trans, Las Vegan, and Filipino. She is also the podcast and video coordinator here at ICAR, and it's such a joy to have you uh, with us, Vera. Thank you. Um, I'm now going to turn to Anne Borer. Um, uh, after, where are you, Anne? Oh, come on up. I'm sorry, I'm standing right in the, in the spot. Um, Anne is a Anne and, and Ross and Shira are beloved longtime members of Ikar. Um, and so you've seen her on Shabbat Morning. I don't know if you know about Anne's artistic work. Um, Anne is, uh, has reignited her creative self via process painting workshops. And she discovered a spiritual and Jewish process art home in the Jewish Studio Project. Are people familiar with the Jewish Studio Project? Not so, not yet. Okay, you will be soon. Um, she and her husband, Ross, who's a visual artist as well, have been leading the virtual e-card creating circle every month, which folks are invited to join um, to activate the inherent creativity in all of us. Um, and thank you for your incredible work uh, for our community. And finally, Mel Weisberger. Um, Mel, hello. Nice to see you. Um, Mel is an incredible ECAR member and, and wonderful volunteer in our community who also is a TV and film producer uh, for the Lionsgate-based pod, 
the Tannenbaum Company. In this role, Mel oversees all development as well as their current slate and sources new content for the company. To put it simply, she gets to dream up movies and TV shows for money. Some of her most recent credits include ABC's Home Economics, Acapulco for Apple, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist for NBC. She is passionate about elevating female voices in media and her dog, Annie, in media, I guess, elevating Annie's voice in media. Um, I, I'm going to turn it over to Lauren in a moment, but I just want to um, I just want to say one more word of context as we begin um, this evening. Um, we are, as certainly everyone in this room knows, in the midst of a writer's strike now. Um, in our community are many wonderful writers, um, many of whom are striking. Um, this is a it's a precarious and a and a scary time. Um, we there are projections that this could go on for quite a long time. Um, I want to start our evening as we're celebrating the creative process of revelation and preparing ourselves for whatever creative inspiration might come um, with a word of solidarity for our uh, beloved friends and family members and community members who are on strike. Um, I hope that you stay strong. Uh, we will be here to do our best to nurture your spirits as you go through um, this struggle. Um, and may you find uh, somehow, even in the midst of the struggle, great inspiration, um, something very, I know that many beautiful, um, many beautiful pieces of art will come out at the end of all of this and let us hope that it ends quickly. Um, and with that, I am turning it over to Lauren Buckman. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, thanks so much. When um, Rabbi Tzedek, uh called me and asked me if I wanted to do a uh, panel on uh, creativity and revelation. She didn't have to go much further. She, she had me already. It's uh, part of uh, 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 a lot of writing that I've done and a lot of thinking that I've done, conversations with artists and designers, um, and a book that you may have heard us, uh, that Rabbi Bress was talking about called Make to Know, which is all about the revelatory nature of the making process itself, that far from the idea that artists and designers work with a sense of vision that they then manifest, cliche of the Michelangelo seeing the angel of the stone and chipping away until he sets it free. Our work is something that is uh, a making that allows us to discover as we move forward, a discovery that is not only about what it is that we're producing, but fundamentally about ourselves in the same way, the quote that I love that some of you know and have heard me say a million times comes from Joan Didion. I'd have no reason to write if I could access my thoughts in any other way. So fundamentally, there is this kind of revelatory nature of the making process. And I'll just say two very quick things before we get into our panel. One is that we are always, and of necessity in our creative lives, going into places of uncertainty. We can't know it all beforehand. And creativity is about entering that place of the unknown. The unknown being a really unsettling, sometimes terrifying place, but also one that is fundamentally creative. And if we can brave our entry into that uncertainty, we can find discoveries that otherwise would never be available to us, a revelation that would otherwise never be available to us. And then you can project into our spiritual lives and what that means too as we enter places of the unknown and discover as we make, as we pray, as we learn, as we gather in community, all defined as a kind of making 
that leads to a kind of spiritual connection as well. And the second principle I just want to articulate um, is that, that, that I've learned from speaking to artists and designers is that it's, we can't just will discovery. We just can't will revelation. What we can do is create the conditions for it to come through. And with those sort of fundamentals, what we decided that this panel would try to address this central question of how do we, how do we, how do these artists that were on our panel here, how do they experience the dynamic of the creative and the revelatory in their work and how do they parse the difference, if at all? Um, and can the dynamic itself shed light on how we might prepare for revelation. So, what I'd like to do is to ask um, each panelist um, to speak for maybe five minutes initially, and then we'll go into more of a conversation on how each one of you thinks about the relationship of the creative and the revelatory in your own work, and can you describe your process to uncover the unknown, um, and maybe to tell a story or to give us a particular anecdote of a project that you've been working on that illustrates the idea. Amy, oh, since you're closer, right. closest to <laughs> I <was> me. Hoping. <laughs> yeah, you should have sat over there. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, thank you, Lauren. Um, I mean, I, t I find like this whole idea about discovery and creativity constantly interesting. And um, I mean, I guess I don't have like a five minute, I'll just, I'll just meander around for a little bit. Um, but that couple things. One is that I found it to be really helpful when I limit something to have some kind of externalized limit for me, it's time, um, so that the creative work can be totally free. That if I'm sitting down to write, I'm, I'm never actually thinking I'm gonna work on, mm, because it always feels pressured. So instead it'll be like, I'm gonna sit down for an hour and I have to be here for an hour and I can work on anything within that hour. And there's something about that dynamic that has been really helpful for me um, in terms of just creating those conditions in that space for possible discovery, which is like the discovery is the thing that makes it thrilling and happens, I would say, you know, not a lot of the time, but it's enough of the time to keep me coming back to the seat because it's such a thrill to encounter something that you didn't know was going to bubble up. And the, like one kind of very specific, I was trying to think of a story or an anecdote or something in that creative process, but when I was working on my first novel, I'd never written a novel before, I was unsure if I would be able to write a novel, I was had a plan, the plan went out the window, like none of that was working, so I was just writing scenes, scenes, a year passed, writing more scenes, and then um, the protagonist was sort of friendly with two people in the town, I mean I had all these plans like she will go to the ocean, she will do all these things, all these things like never happened, like all the planning went out, you know, like I said, it all got thrown away. But she had a friend who ran the hardware store and a neighbor, there were these two kind of older men who are kind of like mentoring the narrator in this way. So I'm writing the book, I have all these scenes in the hardware store, I have all these scenes with the neighbor, and I'm just like, the book has no shape. You know, all these people that say the thing will like become shapely in some way, it's all uh, not true. Anyway, it was panic, you know, sitting there for the hour, panic, whatever. And then there was one day when I was like, they're the same guy. 
the hardware store guy and the neighbor, are the, like they were in every way behaving the same. They were around the same age. They were like, had the same dialogue. But the fact that I didn't know, and then once they became the same person, like something did become a shape. Like there was a shape, a new shape to the book that I had not known. And it was so thrilling because it was so simple and it was sort of embedded in the work, but I just hadn't seen it until that moment. So I often think too that we're, we're putting clues upon clues into the work and then we're looking and looking again and sort of densely looking and looking again and then one day we're sort of able to see it and that those are the moments when sometimes discovery can happen. Mm, beautiful. So, Pura. I pass to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like... This question is something that, especially if you're a creative person, is sort of something that you're trying to figure out all the time. Of like, how do I, how do I discover what I'm supposed to make? Right. Yeah. I think it. it there's. Sort of, I feel like the opposite of a revelation is like a mystery or maybe a problem. Like I think you're kind of stuck at a roadblock and you're looking for a way through or a way around. Um, I think, for me, creativity often is just, like, problem-solving. And, like, when when you have a square hole in a round peg, and either sometimes you have, you're, like, you kind of just keep trying to get that through, or you find out a way to... You just are like, maybe I don't even need to put this peg in this hole. Like, I, why am I even doing this? Um, <laughs> I, I often find that... I, so, sort of, like, how I prepare myself for revelation is that I think I kind of the creativity and the and the spiritual and the revelation like that they're all one and the same where I'm sort of like it's like like what you said like you set a time to write and you don't really have a goal like you're just like I just need to write something mm -hmm. it's often sort of like just carrying a question around for like a couple weeks and when you're like taking a walk or you're washing the dishes like sometimes it, that's when it hits you. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like being like awake, right? Like you're just thinking about it all the time. And maybe not like in the forefront of your mind, but you're just like chewing on it and you're carrying it with you, letting it fade, letting it come forward. And sometimes you discover answers when, when you're just like meandering around the world. Right. And, and, that's, and that's the most surprising. Or when you're having a conversation and sort of the shapeliness also, where oftentimes I have this feeling that I, I cannot discern why I'm having this feeling. I'm like, I feel so angry all the time. And, it, and once you start writing, you can kind of find, you can, like, you can make a mark and you can see what's left behind and then you see the problem almost. Like if you're kind of just internalizing all the time, there's like this shapelessness and like a cyclical like feedback loop. And sort of when you write or when you create, it's, it's almost like talk therapy. Once we say it out loud, it's like the answer becomes clear. Um, so I guess, yeah, I'm just plagued by problems. Can I really. just make a quick comment on that? Um, uh, what, what I've learned from exactly what you just said to underscore it is that those moments away from the studio or taking a walk, or whatever it may be, are actually an important part of the making. It's not aside from the making process. Right, yeah. It's not aside from creativity. It is an integral part of the creative process. Yeah. And for all of the artists and designers that I talked to for this book, 
the single most frequent statement was, I thought of the idea in the shower, yeah. you know. <laughs> But that was that that exactly that point that you were that you were making. Yeah, yeah. sort of like a, a mindful nothingness where you're just sort of like I'm doing nothing on purpose, and then that's when you can be hit with something. Yeah, I'll pass it on to you now so I can stop talking. Okay, thank you, and thank you, Lauren, and thank you, everyone. It's so nice to be here tonight with everyone, and so um, my relationship with creativity and revelation and is related to process. And I think you really touch on this in your book, Lauren, that making to know is like when we are stepping into the doing of something. And I know, as especially as Jews, and I know for myself, I live in my mind quite a bit. And what I found through process painting and through a methodology called the Jewish Studio Process is that I can leave my mind aside and in the creative moment of creating, I'm able to tap into my own inner knowing, my own inner wisdom, my own revelations that are all there to be discovered. And so I, um, during the pandemic, I found this amazing process that's actually wrapped in a Jewish wrapper. And I'm now a facilitator of this. And the way I look at Creativity is about how I live my life rather than I'm not a novelist or a podcast producer. I mean, I do work in a marketing department and make communications and I'm working with creatives all the time. So I am creative, but um, whether it's cooking or gardening or dancing or drawing or painting or walking your dog, anything in life can be creative. And so the story that I want to share was just in my recent Omer journey. I've been doing, um, this is like my, my third or fourth year of counting the Omer, and I'm learning a lot about it. And I did a creativity workshop, and each week we focused on one of the sphere road. And I also participated in a prayer dance workshop that's another way of being creative and tapping into our knowingness through movement. And so um, I was at Alexandra Goldman's dance, prayer dance workshop, and we were doing a dance on Yesod, foundation. And so in this way of not being in my head, but being in my body, and through the guidance and the music, um, I kind of got in touch with like, well, what is my foundation? So my revelation was, it's my lineage. And I had this overwhelming experience of gratitude for my parents and gratitude that for my life and gratitude for being raised in a Reconstructionist Jewish home. And I just had just like a prayer come out of me that said, you know, God, thank you for making me a Jew. And that was like my creative revelation moment. And I know in the morning Siddur there's a prayer about thanking us, thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile. And I never resonated with that. But all of a sudden, getting out of my head and into the making and the doing and the moving and the feeling and the listening to the small little voice inside, I had an experience. I had a revelation. And so um, we'll hear more about it later, but the bottom line is because... We are created in the image of God. God is creative. Each and every one of us in this room and in Zoom land and beyond 
regardless of talent, regardless of privilege, education, any of it, each one of us is creative. And that's sort of revelatory in and of itself. And in my mind, we're here to live a creative life. So I'm just happy to be with you tonight and to share. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Uh, and, and just, uh, and we, we can get into this more, but just to make sure that we stop and hear what you say, that the, the body knows. And part of our creativity or part of our of what we can do is also to listen to what the body knows as we go through a, a process of discovery as well. Thank you. Mel. Yeah, what a, what a person to follow. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, as a producer, I think my process is actually backwards from the way that we've been talking about it. Like, I feel like I have my revelation first, which is <laughs> when I'm reading a script or when I'm reading an article or playing a board game or something, there's something in me that just goes, oh my gosh, this could be a TV show or, oh my gosh, this could be a movie. And that's like the best part of my job because it fulfills everything I felt as a kid where I was like, I just want to make my own stuff. But um, now I don't actually have to write it. So that's good for me. Um, but then I can go to these incredible creative artists who I surround myself with um, and bring this to them and say, look, this is the spark that I felt. Do you feel the same spark? And when we kind of vibe on the same level, that's when we know like we're onto something really great. And that's when our creative process starts. So it's almost like starting with this intuition of this could be something and then talking about it and talking about it until it turns into this big thing. And I think that's the funny thing about working in entertainment, especially is you start with this idea, like reading an article and thinking this could be something. And then like six months later, you're on set with 300 people who are all working on this one idea. And you're like, this all started because of that? Like, it's crazy how it escalates in that way. Um, and then you're reading about it on Rotten Tomatoes and it's, uh, you know, it can be crushing. But um, they're like, whose idea was this? You're like, not mine. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, that's that's kind of my creative process. And I think no one artist works alone. And that's why I love my job. I love elevating other people's voices and being their biggest cheerleader and asking them questions they wouldn't think themselves. Like, I think that's the value that I bring. Um, and yeah, what an amazing way to get to experience art, to be a part of it. Beautiful. I, wa I wonder if it really is that different, though, uh, from what we've been talking about. Because it seems to me you get you get that spark that you defined and then you get together with that community in a place of uncertainty and you begin to make what it is and it comes together and it evolves. And that spark is a kind of entry point into something, right? Just like yeah. a, a question would be or a, a, a idea or some people talk about having stomach aches or whatever it is <laughs> to get them into that. It's always a stomach ache, I guess. Yeah. yeah. To get them into that. Well, that's why we have the lactate. <laughs> <laughs> So bringing in uh, the spirit of, of Shavuot here a little bit, I, I would like to, to ask you, and we don't necessarily have to go in exact order again, um, never too mechanical here, um, of, of you know, picking up on some of the things that Anne was talking about, of how your own, your own engagement with the world on a spiritual level, your own sense of mystery is tied to, I mean, all of you were talking about it in a certain way, but I'd like to go deeper into that question of, of that connection and, and uh, 
open it up to whoever would, would like to begin. Um, you can begin if you want. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, can you can we repeat the question? <laughs> I, I'm interested in 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 how how your creative life is 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 links to your your spiritual life. How right. your creative life, how this conversation that we've been having too about the discoveries that happen along the way, however they might, can can link to connections with something greater than something something um, uh, mysterious uh, what what our own who we are we are um, a couple of you said we are all fundamentally creative and how that can be a stepping stone how can that that can be a, or launch us into a, a sense of engagement with something something more something often ineffable yeah well for me personally I think what I, like, my, my spiritual practice and my creative practice are, like, almost one and the same. And I think I approach both in the same, with the same, yeah, like, so, with my, I think with my creative practice, it's sort of, it's like a devotion. It's like a thing that you have to do every day. You have to sit down and, like, commit to something and go through the mechanics of something that you know, like, you're kind of supposed, you know, like, as a writer, you have to sit down at, at one point during the day and just at least, like, slam your hands on a keyboard, or you have to read something. And sometimes that doesn't really resonate with you, where you're like, I don't even, am I even a writer? Like, I don't have no ideas, what I'm writing does not sound good. And then some days during that practice, like you're, you're hit with that revelation, or you're like burning with that passion, or that spark, and you're really like on fire, and you can feel like there's something kind of moving you, rather than like you're really aware of what you're doing. And with my spiritual practice, too, I think it's the same thing, where it's sort of, like, if I light a candle, you know, I'm thinking that it's sending a message to something else. And sometimes I feel like I'm just lighting a candle. Um, but sometimes you feel connected to a larger practice of other people who are lighting candles around the world, and you can, you just feel like there's something larger. And I think it taps into something, yeah, beyond, yeah. the mysterious and... Sometimes it just isn't there, and sometimes it is. So, yeah. I, I, I think the imposter syndrome piece is part of everyone's creative process, too. Yeah, yeah. We all, yeah. And I, I think part of it, too, the connection between creativity and spirituality is practice. So it's just like having a prayer practice or a weekly structure. We have Shabbat or we have a prayer book, and... The same with our creative acts, that if we have, as Amy said, some boundaries, some structure, and then we add the dedication of to continue, that's like one of our studio principles, keep going. And I think there's something in the repetition, and it reminds me of something, I did study art in college, and one of my teachers said, you go to the studio and you do your work so that when inspiration hits you, you're in the studio doing your work. Like, you don't wait for the inspiration. It's more about the discipline and the practice. And, you know, I'm just coming up on the end of a year of mourning my mother's loss, and I've been going a lot to the Morning Minion, and I never had a daily um, prayer practice in a Jewish context. And, you know, sometimes in the morning minion, we're, like, chatting with each other. And, you know, someone said it's, like, passing notes. And, and you know, but there's something in the repetition. So I think my greatest advice about becoming a more creative person is to set up your own 
practice and to know that the more you practice, the deeper you'll go with your connection and your spirituality. And, you know, I guess it's the same if we're all violin players practice, you know, what's we have Malcolm Gladwell, we have to do 10,000 hours. Yeah. 10,000 hours. Yeah. yeah. I'm just suggesting that to look at the spiritual side as something that the more you do, the more connection comes. And that's been my experience. Exactly. And it, it's, um, it, it goes to what we were talking about earlier, that, that that practice is one of the ways in which you can set the conditions for revelation. You can set the conditions for discovery as opposed to sitting down and saying, okay, I'm willing it now. You enter into a kind of a, a practice, wh- how, whatever it might be. Um, exactly in the way you did as part of the connection of that. Yeah. Do you want to say? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and in, in that it feels sometimes like the act of writing is a sort of, it's like a lab of the unknown in that it's like I'm, I'm dwelling and mucking around in the unknown, which then becomes a way to think about how to kind of sit with it a little bit more in daily life. Um, but I was thinking too, Anne, about what you were saying with the creativity and the availability of creativity to everyone. And there's a, I don't know the exact quote, but it's Donald Winnicott, the British psychoanalyst, talks a lot about creativity. And he talks about it as being very tied, the idea of the creative impulse being very tied to, to happiness, not if you're making art necessarily, that all of us have this creative potential in any moment and he really links it to spontaneity, which I just love too, this idea that at every moment there's sort of, you know, the quantum physics of like many, many possible moments. And that if we can allow, and it's hard, but like if we can allow that spontaneity to bubble up and, and allow that moment to be affected, this happens in the lab of writing. If it's like I'm present with the writing, then I can sort of move the scene somewhere surprising. But hopefully there's a moment if I'm present you know, and we're all davening that I can feel something or I feel like, you know, singing in a different way or louder or something, or if I cry, you know, something where it feels like there's a space for that kind of spontaneous expression. And it sort of, I do feel like Winnicott's really onto something there that those moments are the moments I remember because we go through our things and we kind of phone it in a lot. I mean, I sure do. Like, it just feels like a way that we're going about our days, but those moments that can feel like they are like the reaction is different or that there's some kind of presence in that it feels like that's a creative space. So I feel like that's aspirational for me in all ways. So both spiritually, creatively, interpersonally, all of it. I think you and I have talked about um, um, Anne Hamilton's notion that her, her creativity is a, a discipline of responsiveness. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you just, you, you bring that kind of practice, you bring that yeah. kind of discipline mm-hmm. as much as you can so that you can open yourself to that surprise or that recognition yeah. or what might come, exactly as you were talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, and that, res- that responsiveness um, in the Jewish studio process there's kind of different modes, and one is the making mode, where you have a constraint, here, I'm going to do 20 minutes, I'm going to scribble on a page. And then the next step in the process is called witnessing, and where you observe and you write and you free write about what arrived. And then you're encouraged to read it also aloud. It's just like, just not just writing, but hearing yourself. 
And it's in that response to what's arrived on the page that you get an inner revelation because you're going to the witnessing. So it's sort of like a push and pull between expressing and just like letting it out and allowing the process, whatever that is that's going to come out. And it's journeying into the unknown, right? Lech lecha. We all step into the unknown. We have that courage to go where we don't know where we're going. I'm not making a picture of a, a vase and flowers or trying to make a Cezanne. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going into the unknown, and then I have a time constraint, and then I'm observing what came out of the unknown. And in my writing and in my listening and allowing just to flow, and then in my reading, sometimes there's a new revelation or there's a nothing, but I feel a lot calmer and I feel a lot more present and I feel like I, I get to move out of that little monkey mind. Mm. Mel? Yeah, I mean, um, I think a big part of the Jewish experience is asking a lot of questions. Um, and I think that that's exactly what creativity is, is asking yourself a thousand questions, even if you're not verbalizing them. I mean, if you're imagining making, you know, something with pottery, each movement of your hand is a question. And so I think in the same way, that's very similar to our practices here. Where, where do you, all of you, any of you, um, where do you find the courage to go into those places of the unknown? What, what? helps you get there because it can be a it can be pretty terrifying right uh, uh, and and it can call up all kinds of anxieties and wh where do you find where do you find the courage where's the courage come from I, th I think for me um, it, it's really related to my my like transition into like a trans woman where I feel like for a long time I felt very afraid to create like a new life and a new body and a new identity for myself and there was sort of like a, a like a problem or a question like almost like an art project that I was avoiding for so long but it was like haunting me that I needed to make and then I think like almost all at once like overnight I just decided to be brave about it and to like start the project of like becoming a new person and after kind of after that jump um it, like everything else sort of felt easier and I also knew that the process of making something and venturing into this unknown place where I, I mean I had no idea how anyone was going to react to my transition or to like a new name change or like how I was going to start looking different and it was ultimately so rewarding like emotionally, spiritually, like in my, like amongst my friends and family where I knew that the act of making something could be so rewarding. So now that like kind of fear of messing up or making something wrong or bad is just like diminishing because I know that oftentimes finding out what you're going to make just feels so good. So now I'm venturing into the unknown Thank all the you. time. Thank you for that. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Courage? Yeah. yeah, I think it takes a lot of courage to make things. Um, uh, I met my boyfriend on a dating app. And this this will loop around, I promise. And um, on his profile, it said filmmaker. And I still went on a date with him. And then we were talking, and I was like, okay, filmmaker, 
what are you making? And he told me about all these projects he was working on. And that ended up being like a huge reason that we ended up hitting it off so much because I was like, you could just be sitting at home saying, I'll be a filmmaker one day, but you're out there shooting things. You're out there writing things. That's the hardest part is just forcing yourself to start. And then after that, the reward comes from you just doing your work and letting it out of you, you know, with truly creative people, that's the reward in and of itself. And so um, I think it really does just take that start. And once you start, I always <laughs> compare getting into the industry here in LA as like looking at a, a fan on <laughs> the desk. It's like moving so fast. You're like, there's no way I'm jumping into that. Zero percent. But once you're in it and you're spinning around on the blades, it's really not that bad. You know? So jump into the fan, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I just feel like, you know, there are people that travel the world and do, like, these huge world adventures. But for most people, like, the Frodo and Bilbo, like, heading out into the, like landscape of Lord of the Rings is, in my mind, about a process. And it's, a, it's just made it all externalized. But I feel like that's what we go through. It, it just feels like the courage. It's terrifying, but it's like the good. It just feels like the meaning of life is like, be kind to people and be in processes. Like that it just feels to me like you be in as many kinds of processes as you can, because that is where the meaning is like that is it's all in the discovery of the the rocky terrain the grassy meadow the like cave the you know all of these things and they just apply to everything like this is how every sort of internal experience creatively emotionally spiritually happens so it just feels like the courage just comes from like how do we be alive how do we how do we live a life right and i i you know clearly i think this is in incredibly relevant to this holiday and what we're talking about here tonight in terms of that kind of what's that preparation and where's the courage and you know as a as an educator of creative people um uh, i often reflected that really what we're doing is we're teaching courage that that ultimately is and courage comes from all kinds of different places as 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 you've as you've reflected um, one place it comes from is skill, and another place is practice, another place is a willingness to, to jump in, another is to make a, make a decision about your life and go deep into that, 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 all kinds of different ways in which we find it. And then what happens along the way when the courage may dissipate a little bit and we want to go back and we f find our way, and we, as you just explained in your beautiful metaphor, and we, we, we roll over and go into it again. Um, so my, my final question, do I, how, how are we doing on time? Last one, okay, let's go. Um, I don't know how much response I'm gonna get from this. This is a, this is a kind of uh, Rabbi Artson question too, but, but uh, just talk about the relationship of, of creativity and revelation in Torah. And I said to my panelists before this, some of them may not um, have the courage to go into this or if prepared to go into this, but nonetheless would love to hear if you have reflections about that because um, we are in a certain fundamental way a warm-up band for Rabbi Artson um, coming up <laughs> later on. Um, so I'll just open that up and, and you, you know, run, go. <laughs> I'll respond to that. And it's, it's kind of a follow-on to the courage. It's about trusting the process. Like, how do we go into the unknown 
we trust the process. And where's my rabbi arts? And, you know, God is process. And creativity is process. And the journey, right? Who knows? You don't always have to even know the destination, but you have to make the mark on the blank page. So for me, it's about embracing the process. And I guess when we look at coming to this point in the Torah cycle of receiving tonight, it's like we're on the spiral of time. And as a people, we've arrived at this moment again, yet I'm not the same person I was last year. And I'm open to the process. So I can't use that word enough tonight, but just um, just to embrace the process and, and, and the becomingness of it all, like the becomingness of it all and enjoying the ride. Beautiful, thank you. You want to take a... Yeah. For the Torah is a good book, I'll check it out. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you to my um, incredibly insightful and brilliant and spiritually gifted panelists, fellow panelists, I appreciate it very much. It's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.